Oh, it was good, wasn't it? Fun fact. So in the English language, when we want to emphasize something that is particularly important, we'll tend to put an, like underline it or maybe put an exclamation mark on it, right? That's what we do if we want to underline something really important. We want to emphasize something, yeah? In the Hebrew language, it's different. In the Hebrew language, they, they use repetition, okay, to, to, to let you know that something's really important and worthy of emphasis. And so you'll find this through the Bible. If something's repeated twice, that means it's really, really important. But there's only one word, only one word in the Bible that's repeated three times, which means it's most important. Holy, holy, holy. Fun fact. Must be important. Must be important. Good song as well. Thank you for leading us in worship, guys, and thank you for having me this weekend. I hope that it's going to be fun in here, as fun as it is for the kids. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm, I'm really excited to, to share what I think God is saying to me and, and to you. Before I do that, um, I'll just introduce myself. So Matt's introduced me, but I'm, my name is Mike Williams. I'm married to Danielle, and I have a son called Jackson. He's seven. And they're at home at the moment. We have quite an important event happening in our church tomorrow. So my wife is looking after that for us. Um, but they're brilliant. And I've known Matt and Emily now for quite a while. And I have to say, I think I love your pastors as much, if not more, than you do. <laughs> they are, just, aren't they? Just, let's give them a round of applause. Aren't they fantastic? And uh, yeah. I, and I'm not just saying this. You see, Matt, I spend a lot of time with Matt and we talk often, but Matt has what I would say is a pure heart. His motivation is true. I ask him, you know, are you, are you happy at Counterslip? And he says yes, and I know he means it. I ask him, do, do you love the people? I know he loves you. He's got a pure heart. His motivations are sound and you can trust him. Your love in him is well placed. And I say that for Matt and Emily also. But I get to spend time with Matt in a coffee shop every so often, and we chew over things, don't we? And uh, I, I genuinely know that just his love for you is just outstanding. And uh, I think he's a brilliant pastor. And, uh, you know, I, I do look forward, though, to the day when I get to heaven. I'm going to be there when Matt first meets his hero, Moses. <laughs> and uh, I think they're going to sit down, and they're going to open the Bible to the book of Leviticus. <laughs> and... And I'm just waiting to hear those words from Moses. Matt, that's not what I meant. And I, I'm so excited for that day. I, I can't wait for that day. I'm going to be there for that day. I don't know about you. I, uh, during COVID, I wrote a book. I've brought a few copies with me. Um, it's called Dying to Get There. It's about heaven. If you've ever wondered, if you've ever thought, what, what do we do in heaven? What's heaven about? What does it look like? This is the book for you. It's very devotional, very easy to read. And uh, I just thought I'd bring a few copies along with me. And if you'd like one, it's five, they're five pound each. I tell you what, I'll do you two for 10 pound. Um, uh, if you're really good, I'll do you three for 15, okay? So, um, no, uh, the money's not the important thing. I, you know, if, when, when it comes to money, I'm set for life, providing I die next week. So, uh, there's a few copies over there. Come and have a chat to me if you'd like to talk about that. Great. Well, I'm going to preach to you tonight, and um, I'm going to start where the Bible starts, in the book of Genesis, 
yeah, get excited. Should we go to Genesis? Um, the creation story. Let's start with the creation story. And uh, you know the six, seven days of creation. I say six because he rested on the seventh, but there are six days where the creative work is happening, okay? And um, there, I know in Christendom, in the church, in Christianity, there are a wide variety of interpretations of this passage. I know lots of people have lots of different views. Um, and I'm not really going to get into the different views of creation. But what I do want to point out is something that I think is really important for us as a church to understand. Okay? So I'm just going to throw this slide up. And these are the six days of creation. And uh, what you'll see here is day one, two, and three. Yeah, day four, five, and six. And I deliberately structured it this way to help us to see something perhaps you've not seen before. Okay? So uh, day one, day two, and day three, light and dark separated, sky and water separated, dry ground and vegetation. But then on day four, God makes the sun, moon, and stars, the birds and the fish, day five, the animals, day, and humans on day six. Yeah, following? Okay. On these three days, day one, two, and three, God created the environment. And on these three days, God filled it. Can you see that? And each one corresponds to the other. So, for example, day one, light and dark separated, corresponds with day four. God governs the light and dark with the sun, moon, and stars. Day two corresponds with day five. God made the sky and the waters. And on day five, he made the birds and the fish. Can you see that? Day three, dry ground and vegetation. Day six, animals and humans. Can you see how that correlates? It's an interesting passage with an interesting structure. And, and, but what's really happening is here is this, and this is what I want to bring out of this. Before God could add life, God had to create an environment. Before God could add life, he had to create the right kind of environment for that life to flourish for that life to grow, for that life to be healthy. God first creates environments, then God adds life. There's the principle. God first creates an environment, then God adds life. God first creates an atmosphere. God creates an environment. Then God fills that environment with life. And I want to say to you that what's true for this story is true for the church. And it's true for my church, and it's true for Counterslip. Before God adds life, God creates the environment for life to flourish. Are you with me? God creates the environment. Now, previous to this creative work, the Bible tells us that the earth was formless and empty. Formless and empty here, but by day six, the end of day six, it had an environment and it had life. And I want to say to you this too, that that's kind of like a scale of, of churches that I've been to. <laughs> I'm just being honest with you. Not your church, but I've been to churches where I've been to churches which have been formless and empty. I have. And I've been to churches that have an environment and there's just life. And there's fruitfulness. There's salvation. There's answers to prayer. There's stuff just happening in the, in the natural and in the spirit. And you, you go there and you think, what's the difference? 
between a church that's formless and empty, between a church that's not got a great environment for life. It might, hear me, it might have all the right theology. They might, their fundamentals might be down. They might have ticked all the right boxes there, and yet there's no life. And then I've been to churches that are just flourishing with life. And there's revelation. And the word is exciting. I I remember going to a church. This was quite formational for me in my early days. There was around about 5,000 people. And pretty much all of them were under the age of 25. And it was just... You'd think that it would be chaos. But those young people had their notepads out. And they're hungry for the word of God. And there was an environment like I'd not been exposed to before. And it was an environment where young men and women were growing up excited about Jesus. Confident about their faith. Growing in their knowledge of the Bible. And I came back to England and I was like, I want some of that in England. I want, it to be a, uh, I want it to be the case that the church isn't boring. <laughs> I want it to be the case that the church is thriving and flourishing and people are excited to be there like they are here in Counterslip today. I want it to be like that in my church. I want it to be like that in my city that, that the church has a reputation for being a place, an environment, an atmosphere of life. Not formless, not empty, not boring. The thing is, is the right kind of environment doesn't happen by accident. You don't accidentally bump into the right kind of environment. The right kind of environment, just like it was here, is created. The right kind of environment is created. And here I want to introduce to a word that's going to be like a bit of a theme word for the next few days, the next couple of days. How long are we staying here? (laughs) For the next week. Um, I want to introduce you to the word culture. Because I think culture is how we create environments. If we create the right culture, we produce the right environment. If we create the right culture, we produce the right environment. Say the word culture. If you create the right culture, you produce the right environment. So we've got to think about the culture of Counterslip Baptist Church. We've got to look at in the mirror and say, what's the culture that dominates the day today in Counterslip Baptist Church? And I do this in my own church. What's the culture that we've created together as a, as a congregation? What's the culture like? If I were to describe culture for you, it would be this, that it's, it's kind of like the normal patterns of behavior in any given group of people or society it's, it's something that's the norm. It's what we do around here. So in Bristol tonight, probably, there'll be a whole host of people that have dressed up, gone into town, have drunk so heavily that they're going to have a massive headache tomorrow as if they, they, they are, uh, have nothing else to, to sort of give their lives to. And tonight, that's perfectly normal. Because why? 
it's the culture. It might not be healthy. It might not be good for their livers. It might not be good for their heads. And it might not be good for the future. But hey, everyone's doing it. Yeah? That's culture. If I were to say to you, uh, just come forward here to this wall, and I just want you to hit your head on the wall hard 10 times, you wouldn't do it, would you? But that's the kind of headache that these guys are going to have tomorrow morning. Why? Because of the power of culture. Because everyone's doing it. Because that's the norm. Because that's how we do it in England. That's how we do it in Bristol. That's the way it is. And I want to put it to you that every group of people, every, every society, and every church has a, a culture. And that culture produces the environment. Are you following me tonight? Say the word culture. culture. It's really important that we, that culture doesn't happen accidentally. Culture needs to be created, at least good culture does. You see, you can have a healthy culture and you can have unhealthy culture. You can have culture that produces a good environment. You can have culture that produces life. You can have culture that's attractive. You can have a culture that people wanna be part of, but you can also have unhealthy cultures. You can have cultures that, that you don't like and you aren't attracted to, you don't want to be part of. Culture doesn't happen by accident. You have to design it. You have to think, what kind of culture do we want to be in in Counterslip Baptist Church? Are you following me? I want to tell you that culture is a really powerful force. The Bible tells us that culture is so powerful it can nullify the word of God. Let me tell you where it says it. Here it is in Matthew chapter 15. I'll read it to you, one to six. Some Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus and they asked him, why do your disciples disobey our age-old, what's that word? Tradition or? For they ignore our culture of ceremonial hand washing before we eat. In other words, everyone's doing it, why aren't they? That's the culture around here, we all wash our hands before we do. Okay, Jesus replied, and why do you, by your culture, violate the direct commandments of God? For instance, God says, honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given you. In this way, you say they don't need to honor their parents. And so you cancel, nullify, bring to nothing the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. That's interesting. Jesus is pointing to a culture in the people that's having such a powerful effect that it's nullifying the revelation of the word of God in their experience, community, lives. Culture is that powerful that it can lead you away from the very purposes of God for your congregation, if you get it wrong. Are you hearing me? Culture is a powerful thing. Get the wrong culture, a church will break apart. Get the right culture, environment for life. You don't have, it doesn't happen by accident, you create it. Okay, let's carry on. Can just be a few more minutes. The right culture 
can create an environment for miracles. The right culture can create an environment for miracles. Shall we see? Mark chapter 6, verse 1 to 6. Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth's hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. And they asked, where did he get all this wisdom and power to perform such miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored. Say the word honored. A prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to play, place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Let me tell you what I think is going on in this passage. There was not a culture of honor. And because there was not a culture of honor, the miraculous was nullified. Even Jesus couldn't do much in a culture where there was no honor. Just let that sink in for a moment. What that tells us is when there is a culture of honor, when there is a culture of honor, God adds life. That's how powerful culture is create the right culture, environment flourishes, life flourishes, counterslip flourishes, God adds life and life. Why? Because we've got the right kind of culture. The right kind of culture creates the right kind of environment. Where there's no honor, that's an unhealthy culture. Even God's limited there. Even God's going, look, I've seen your website's good, your social media's on point, I've seen your, yeah, that's right. My, who, does, who does social media? My wife follows it, and she said to me this week, she said, their social media is amazing, so just want to say that, well done. <laughs> and she's probably going to be your church next Sunday, there we go. Um, <laughs> What was I saying? <laughs> Honor, culture. But you, you may have the, the creed, you may have the, 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 you know, all the beliefs, but where there's, they, listen, they believed. This was, not, this was not Gentiles, this was Jews who believed in God and had seen God move, had the very revelation of the word of God, the chosen people of God, and yet their culture kept them from the experience that their word, that their revelation taught them should happen. Are you following me? It was culture that was to blame. They'd allowed it to become the norm that when someone comes into town who's a, who's a prophet or who carries the word of God, that they would cynically, cynically test them and try to find every reason to not trust and believe them. That was the culture that they had allowed. 
You know this to be true, don't you? If you read the Gospels enough, you'll know Jesus is constantly being questioned, tested. Why? Because of the culture. What was the culture? Test, find, cynicize, criticize, make sure. And, and, and what happened is they canceled the very Son of God because of a culture. It, could it be true that there are churches in our nation today that are preventing the move of God. They're preventing the miracles of God. They're preventing breakthrough. They're preventing life. They're preventing revival. They're preventing salvation. Why? Because they cannot create. They live in a, cult, a poor culture that doesn't expect, doesn't honor, doesn't believe, doesn't anticipate, doesn't trust, isn't ready, is settling for what they have, and the culture is dictating. And, 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 and there'll still be people there going, why is, why is this not happening, God? Why aren't you doing? Why aren't you answering? And God's looking going, I can't do much. I can't do much if the norm for you is to doubt me. Wow. Culture. Say culture. culture. Every church has a culture. In fact, it has a number of cultures or norms. Every church does. My church does. And I wanna, I'd love to be able to tell you that One Church Bristol had like all healthy cultures. But I'd be lying to you. Because human beings bring with them the culture of their home. The culture of their family. The cultures they grew up in. And we all get together and all those cultures mingle. And what that means is there's a myriad of cultures going on in this room right now today. And it is a fight for us to lift ourselves to a place where we align with kingdom culture because we are so immersed in the culture of this earth. Are you hearing me? There's kingdom culture. Kingdom culture is the norms in heaven, the norms of life with God, the norms if Jesus were in charge of this church. That's kingdom culture. And I want to tell you, the Bible's full of kingdom culture guidelines. But we have to be prepared to forego some of our old earthly norms and cultures that keep us from an environment of life. Are you hearing me? Does it make sense? Some of our cultures need to go. Let me give you an example of one that needs to go. Because most of us in the room, not everybody, so I, I want to be really careful how I say this, but many of us in the room are British. I want to tell you a British culture that needs to go because it's not kingdom culture. Are you ready? It is British culture. <laughs> it's British culture to honor mediocrity. It's British culture to honor mediocrity. We don't like people that succeed. We pull them down. We don't like people that are a bit too enthusiastic. That's weird. We don't like people that dance in church. There's something wrong with them. Now, in one church, I want to tell you this. In one church, we have uh, four locations in England, and we have three locations in Zimbabwe. And I've been to the Zimbabwe locations, and I can tell you they dance and they sing. And I have not been in a worship 
experience like a village in the rural Africa where people know how to worship. There are no chairs. And there is heartfelt, expressive worship. You bring that to England, doesn't work. Doesn't work. And that's not because there's a problem with dancing. Dancing is all through the Bible. It's not because there's a problem with shouting and there's a problem with expression because that's all through the Bible. In fact, the Bible and, and Jews uh, in Jewish history, worship had a myriad of expressions. The issue's nothing to do with that. The, I'll tell you what the issue is. British culture. That's the issue. And British culture keeps us like this in our rows and in our chairs and we might occasionally just break out a little bit and go, Someone might even smile. <laughs> and we expect God to add life to that environment. I want to tell you, you're going to have to forego British culture for kingdom culture. We've got to let go of some of these things that are normal to us because we grew up in it, but it only belongs in England. It doesn't belong in the kingdom. And I want to tell you this. There's a day in heaven, and you can read my book. There's a day in heaven. <laughs> there's a day in heaven when the worship is going to be so loud, so big, the crowd is going to be bigger than any football stadium on the planet, you're going to be somewhere in the middle of it, and you're not going to be able to sit down and go... <laughs> you're going to be in awe of Jesus Christ, who's going to stand holy at the front of that room, or that environment, or that place, and you are going to be like chin on the floor, arms in the air, prostrate on the floor, jumping up and down, giving it this, <laughs> break dancing, giving it some kind of holy dance, <laughs> hugging the person next to you, tears rolling down your face, it's going to be messy, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be loud. It's going to last more than 20 minutes. And it won't matter. The only place it matters is right now because we're English. Isn't it true? Where are you from? Am I speaking the truth? Yeah. <laughs> I am. And I have Nigerians and Africans. I have um, South Africans, Zimbabweans in church. And they're like, we came over here and we couldn't believe how boring worship was. And that isn't a statement on our church, but. I, I want to I say to you, I've I got to finish in a minute because I'm, I'm probably going over time. But, but let, me, let me recap. There are cultures that are earthly, and there are cultures that are kingdom. Our job as the church, our job as leaders, and our job as the church is to f get revelation on what's kingdom culture, and then rather than try and create, bring kingdom culture down, try and create a church that's designed on kingdom culture. Are you hearing me? So, so get the revelation, what's kingdom culture, and then, and then build a church on that culture. 
How do we do that? Uh Oh, let me just give you a few other examples of kingdom culture. Encouraging speech. Encouraging speech is kingdom culture. British culture is probably not encouraging speech. All right? Truth in love is kingdom culture. Enthusiasm is kingdom culture. Say enthusiasm. Yeah, come on. That's enthusiasm. I'll tell you, the common denominator between churches that are thriving and churches that aren't is that one word, enthusiasm. It's the culture of the kingdom, but it's not the culture of the world. Enthusiasm comes from the, the root word entheo. Entheo means in God. Yeah? So, so it, it, of, of all the people in the world that should be enthusiastic, it's Christians. Because we're in God. Oh, you need to be more enthusiastic today. <laughs> What's the world culture? Cynicism, gossip, indifference, apathy. Kingdom culture, generosity. Earthly culture, tight-fistedness. In, uh, kingdom culture is service. World culture is all about me. Faith is another kingdom culture. Fear is the culture of the world. Grace and peace is the kingdom culture. Grudges and arguments are er earthly culture. Loving our enemies is kingdom culture. Belittling our enemies is worldly culture. Increasing is kingdom culture. Settling is earthly culture. Working hard as if for the Lord is kingdom culture. Playing hard is earthly culture. I could go on. I could go on. But the idea is this. We want to create an environment that God can add life to. And the way we create an environment that God can add life to is by aligning the culture and the norms of counterslip Baptists with those of the kingdom. And then what you'll find is people want to be part of that. People start coming. They go, go, I want to be around these people. I want to be in this place. This isn't formless and empty and dull and boring. There's life in this room. I love this place. some people say about one, it's one of the things I'm proudest of all, of, of, of my location, my church, is that people say when they come here, I've never been welcomed like I am in your church. I've never had a welcome like yours. I love that, because that's kingdom culture, being lit. It's the norm for us to be hospitable, and I love that. What are the cultures dominating the day in Counterslip Baptist Church? How do you form kingdom culture in a church? Really quickly, four four ways. Number one, revelation. The Holy Spirit shows us in the word of God. He gives us revelation as to kingdom culture. Secondly, permission. We either allow it or we refuse it. We allow it or refuse it. Where you see bad culture, you've got to refuse it. And that's not just Matt's job. Matt will do that job. But that's not just, if you're in a conversation in your home with somebody in the church, or if you hear it going around the, and it's, it's bad culture, it's negative, it's poor, it's cynical, it's bringing someone down, it's belittling somebody, you have the right, I give you the authority, I give you the right right now to go, I'm sorry, I, I don't want to continue with that conversation. That's not my culture. That's not how we do things around here. L- let me encourage you. Think like this. What happens is if you join in, you permit that culture and it just goes on and on and on. You've got to break the culture by not giving it permission and you've got to start to say, no, 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 we're we're about something greater than this, bigger than this. So revelation, permission, leadership. Leadership is this, it's modeled by us all. We model it. We lead people where we want to go. 
You can't tell people to be generous and be tight-fisted yourself. You start the way. You lead by example. You decide, I'm going to reflect that kingdom culture in my own life. I'm going to lead the way in this. And you know what? If many do it, over a little bit of time, it just becomes the norm. We all do it that way. That's how we are around here. That's how we do it here. Someone needs to break the mold. Someone needs to be the first. Someone needs to take ownership. Someone needs to say, I care so much about the environment of this church, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start aligning my life with what I see in the kingdom, and I'm going to model it to others. Lastly, practice. It's lived by many. Revelation, permission, leadership, practice. Live it out. Be on guard. Can you see how destructive to the church earthly culture can be? Can you see how it limits a church? Can you see how exciting it is when kingdom culture is really the norm in a church? Okay. I think I've said enough for this evening. But here's what I'm going to do in the next three sessions. I'm going to get some detail on some cultures that I think will be really helpful. We're going to just do a bit of a dive into some really helpful cultures. And I hope that this is going to help shape you. Because one thing I've heard, as I've been speaking to different ones of you, and I've heard it from Matt, is that there's a feeling, at least, that this church, that Counterslip, is on the up. That God's doing something. The doors are beginning to open. There's a feeling... And there's an expectancy in the room that these are not normal days. There's something breaking. And if that's true, and I believe it is, then I'm believing that this message and the messages over the next three days are just going to be like fan, fanning that flame. Yeah, fanning that flame and going, hey, think about this. Think about this. Because if God is doing something right now, then we've got to get on board with that. Every one of us. Not just Matt, every one of us, we've got to take ownership of this and say, okay, I'm in. I am in, and I'm going to do my part in making sure the culture here is healthy. And as the culture is healthy, so the environment becomes a place where God goes. <laughs> Life. 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 That's what I'm praying for. Praying that the next year you'll see more life than you've ever seen as a church in all the years that Counterslip has been here. Can we believe for that? Can we anticipate that? Expect that? Good. Let's pray. Precious Jesus. Wonderful Savior. Wonderful Jesus. We love you, Lord. It's our privilege to serve you. Our privilege to be part of your body, your church. We want this church, this congregation, to be like the kingdom of God. Father, we want to be an environment where you can fill it with life. We don't want to be formless and empty. Father, we want to be, oh, we just want to see the lost come running in. So pray that you would grip, grip our hearts again with a vision for our church. That is what you designed it to be. I want to pray over each person in this room that whatever they're carrying right now, 
whatever heavy weights they've brought with them this weekend would just begin to lift and their eyes would begin to open. I do feel I need to share one prophetic word with you. Can I do that, Matt? Am I all right time? Can I just share one prophetic word? 1 Corinthians 9. In fact, in fact, let me just, if I can pull it up. Here it is. No, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. It says this. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And the word I've got for you is there's somebody in this room. The enemy wants you to live under a sentence of something. Perhaps that sentence is despair, discouragement, a sentence of anxiety, a sentence of shame, a sentence of regret, or a sentence of self-loathing. You live under a sentence. It's like you're a prisoner in your own mind. And what God wants to do this weekend is release you from that sentence. Because God is the author of the story of faith. This is what happened in this story, is they felt like they were under a sentence of death, but then it says this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. In other words, Paul moved from a place of feeling under a sentence to a place of faith, to a place of faith. And God's gonna release some of you from a sentence that you've been living under into a new place of faith for whatever that is that you're going through, whatever circumstance is troubling you, whatever thing is keeping you imprisoned, where you feel, someone feels like they're under a sentence of death. I don't know, maybe the doctor said something to you. Maybe it's just a fear that you have and you feel like you live under a sentence of death, but God will say to you, I'm the author of the story of your faith. The enemy may be able to come up with a sentence, but I've got a story. The enemy may be able to come up with a sentence, but there's no full stop there because God's involved in your story and in your life. And you're going to move to a place of faith where previously you lived under a sentence of death. I pray that happens. I pray you feel free. And I pray you're encouraged tonight. And I'll speak no more. Praise the Lord. Amen. Come on, why don't we stand? Let's stand. We're just gonna we're just gonna worship, just sing one song as we kind of draw our time to a close this evening. But as we worship, let's fix our eyes on the King and let's open ourselves up to the culture of the kingdom of heaven.